Blog Talk Radio. I guess it's true what they say about you people. Can't trust a fucking word comes out of your mouth. What's the matter, John Rue? I hurt your feelings. As a matter of fact, you did. I know I'm the only black son bitch you ever conversed with, so I'm going to cut you some slack. But you got no idea what it's like being a black man facing down America. The only time black folks are safe is when white folks is disarmed. And this letter had the desired effect of disarming white folks. Call it what you want. I call it a dirty fucking trick. You want to know why I lie about something like that, white man? To another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. a.k.a. the Afro Nerd, and welcome to the next newest, always current installment of Afro Nerd Radio's The Midweek in Review. The call-in number, always a constant, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. Listen, I'm doing this for Delph, with a D. I'm doing this for solo. I'm on a solo mission. The captain is out on assignment again, but he assures me that he will be returning this Saturday for sure 
for our infamous Grindhouse show, which is also powered by the Afro Nerd Radio Machine. Actually, he said he might, if he has a spare moment, he might call in later. Uh, so, you, one never knows. One never knows. Listen, we, we preempted a show last week, and we never did get a chance to discuss some things. We, had a ch- we got a chance to talk about pop culture stuff for, for last week's Grindhouse, but we, we know that this is a bifurcated show where we talk about current events and science and as well as, as pop culture slash pulp culture. So on Wednesdays, oftentimes, it's a bit more serious, a, a little bit less. We back the pedal off uh, off of pop culture stuff. So um, we failed to really address some of the things coming out of the DNC. I believe we did speak about the RNC at one point, but now we're talking about the Democratic National Convention, which was held last week. So we're going to talk about that and some of the highlights that came out of that out of, out of that experience out of Philly. But before we get into that, we've got to get into our groove. We always give you the best of black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, Afropunk. Afropunk is coming up in a couple of weeks. Wow, time is flying. Hard to believe. So let's get to a groove, definitely a chief component of our, of our enterprise. This is Patrick Green, Back in Time. Give you a few moments and we'll be right back. Let's groove.
folks, we're back. Always giving the best of Urban Alternative Groove. That was Patrick Green, Patrick Green, back in time. And we're back in full effect, as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, my cohort in white-collar crime, Captain Kirk, may or may not call in later, but he's out, for the most part, he's out today on assignment. But we'll be returning with the rest of our podcast cadre this Saturday at 6 p.m. for the Grindhouse Show. But you can call in. I'm for Delp. I'm for Solo. Don't be scared, as they always say. I do not bite frequently. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Before we get into the into the meat of the programming, I figure I, I'd give you a, a few tidbits, a few thoughts um, that actually we'll, we will probably get into more deeply for Saturday's show, but I'm just hearing about this. For long-time listeners, I mean, again, the show, the show is called Afro Nerd, so you can, you can uh, decipher what that means. Uh, obviously, it means a person of color that has an interest in nerdy things, comic books, science, sci-fi, fantasy, video gaming, and so forth, uh, maybe uh, a, a, on the side of the intellectual, Urkelism, <laughs> uh, Roger from What's Happening-ism, however you want to perceive that, that's all fine and well. So anyway, um, we're deeply invested here at Afro Nerd with comic book culture. So we're talking about, um, or waiting, I should say, in, with bated breath for the release of DC's Suicide Squad, the second installment of their DC, U, DCU, the, uh, their, their, their um, well, you know, the M- MCU is the Marvel Comics or Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the DCU is the, is the DC's Cinematic Universe. I forgot the actual acronym. I think it's DCEU, if I'm not, not mistaken. Anyway, comics to movies on the DC side of things. The first installment, which came out March, was Batman vs. Superman, which I think still did not breach a billion dollars. And a billion dollars for these kind of movies is the litmus test. For the most part, for the most part, for this, for these really huge investments, these spectacles, at this point, a billion is what you would expect. If you can breach the billion dollar mark, you're you're in you're in good good shape. To date, from my understanding, I do not believe that Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice has done that. There have been some early viewings of Suicide Squad. And with B versus, B versus S, that movie was widely panned. We spoke about it ad nauseum here at Afro Nerd uh, with a great deal of passion. Shout out to our left coast correspondent, Claire Lene. We really, I could say collectively. Normally I can't speak for everybody, but in this case I can speak for everybody associated with this show that we just hated that movie. No joy, no real 
no real structure as far as story is concerned, just a mix mash of different stories, a mix mash of, of different legendary stories coming out of the DC mythology. And there was no real cohesion with that movie as helmed by Zack Snyder. A great deal of disappointment. And one of the critiques, which I feel is just patently incorrect, at least when it comes down to how some may perceive how we reviewed that film, is that, oh, you're just a bunch of Marvel fanboys, meaning that you can only love and appreciate the works coming out of Marvel Comics, out of the Marvel crew, the House of Ideas, which, which they're known famously. That's just not the case. We are die-hard fan people. I like Image Comics. I like Milestone. I like so many different independent and mainstream comic book companies. As long as it is pulp, I'm all in. Even pre-pulp, well, I shouldn't even say pre-pulp, pulp. Even pulp and comic books. I'm making a distinction. Pulp heroes would be like Doc Savage and uh, who else can I think of? Um, even maybe Green Hornet to a certain degree. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of splitting hairs. But we love this pulp pop stuff. And we were rooting for DC to win. We were sincerely rooting because at the end of the day, it's just more content that we can enjoy. So it's not that deep as far as taking sides or anything. Even if you're not into this genre, heck, our longtime supporter, Sergio Mim, shout out to Shadow and Act, our resident cineast from Chicago, uh, I think he is slowly becoming a comic guy. I mean, slowly, begrudgingly, but it's really not his thing. As he has said on countless occasions, he's a James Bond guy, as am I. James Bond, Westerns. Uh, he's a bit more spe specific. We like all of that stuff. But the movie, the first installment didn't work. And it looks like the second installment, Suicide Squad, might be tracking in a similar direction. We have tickets uh, from the, for the Inner Sanctum. The Inner Sanctum is the term we use colloquially for... Our friends, those are those who are close associates to the Afro Nerd Machine. We have early tickets for Saturday, so we'll be able be able to give you a really uh, more concrete, maybe not so much of a a spoiler a spoiler infused review. We will try our best to be respectful, but I'm hearing some stuff already. I'm looking at the reviews. Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's very low in the 30s or something to that effect. Uh, maybe it's, I, I think, a tad bit higher than B versus S. Still not in the the higher range of the Marvel movies. The Marvel, Marvel movies, for the most part, seem to be uh, lauded, lauded over critically. And they're performing, I think, in the $10, $10 billion range. Since 2008, since the first installment, which would be the first Iron Man. So, I mean, Marvel is just winning. Again, I hate to repeat this. I'm not a Marvel fanboy 
exclusively. I am a fanboy, meaning that I like all of this stuff to be repetitive. The trailer for Suicide Squad really looked like something. Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen was playing in the background. It had a certain uh, punkish, uh, frenetic look to it. It, it. You know, you saw Jared Leto as the Joker, so he's a he's a different Joker. You know, more uh, sartorial Joker, dare I say? Um, he may be a Joker we haven't seen yet, as far as his interpretation of the character. But we're hearing some things, and it's just. I mean, it's, it's so bad. And, we, and, and again, we will go into this, obviously, on the Grindhouse when we have actually seen the movie. So I, I want to be respectful. I have not seen it. But the reviews are coming in, and they're, they're, not, they're not that great. But the part that I found, found unusual or disturbing, and we will definitely discuss this. I can't wait to hear what Claire says about Claire and uh, her doppelganger the uncanny Daryl B., what he says about this. But there is actually a petition, I think one of those change.org petitions, that once Rotten Tomatoes to shut down, or maybe to, if not to shut down, their, first of all, I doubt they had the power to shut down that enterprise. It's extremely successful, extremely popular, uh, very heavily relied upon. But maybe it's just a tomato meter, which gives you that initial you know, zero to a hundred as far as quick a quick snapshot as as to the the these cadre of reviewers as to how they feel about a certain film. I think they want that cut out. They want they want these reviews to be shut down. So because this Rotten Tomatoes meter came out not that favorably toward Suicide Squad and there's also this thing about Marvel. Like I think they're saying that it's biased toward Marvel. So there's a whole thing with, with I think, a growing number of people that just feel that everyone has it, has it in for DC films and that the Marvel comics, that, you know, that, that it's, uh, I don't know, it's almost like the RNC versus the DNC. That it's, it's, it's not that your candidate... Notice how I'm able to make that tangential connection rather smoothly. It's not like it's not like your candidate is off the rails. No, it couldn't be that. It's something else. It's a democratic conspiracy. So in the case of this suicide squad, and I want it to be successful. I must repeat, I want it to be successful because we're in a special time. We are in the greatest of times for someone who's a sci-fi comic book, video gaming, this is the be- I can't imagine it getting any better than this. We used to be relegated to a few shows here and there, a few campy periods, and mostly on Friday nights when no one would look at this stuff. We have conservatively some kind of sci-fi fantasy, something going on daily in a, in a multitude of platforms. Trust me, we want this stuff to work out. But to have a petition and to say that Marvel, uh, Marvel is 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 conspiratorial towards DC, and I mean this is just I mean come on, 
It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I see that uh, Charlemagne, someone named Charlemagne, I think. Oh, no, Q-Storm, I guess. Uh, I guess. Missions the Shadow. The Shadow was one of the, was one of the uh, pulp heroes I was actually thinking of. Anyway, that's enough. I may, I, I may turn around and say, hey, I didn't get what the reviewers, and that may be what's going on, too. That can happen. But I, I just don't like... I just don't like what I'm hearing thus far, but we will see Saturday, 6 p.m. Folks, again, for self, unless the captain does call in, he said he might be able to do that. This is the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd, normally featuring Captain Kirk, but he's out. Um, I'm here for self. The call in number, 646 915 9620. Again, Six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. One more thing, and then we'll move along into the the gristle. Um, I really have to confess. Every time I think I'm not really a nerd, even though I know I am, um, I come across something that just solidifies it. That I can't not escape it. Shout out to Comic Geek Speak. Those cats. I think they're out of out of PA somewhere. Comic Geek Speak, a cadre of comic book retailers, scholars, enthusiasts. They do their own podcast imprint. And from time to time, uh, I visit their website, Comic Geek Speak. You can just simply Google Comic Geek Speak, and I believe they have a YouTube imprint as well. And, and, and after, after having followed them for some time, they had always said, they'd always promised to do a Spotlight. That's, that's something they oftentimes do. They they will talk about weekly. What you know, a variant of what we do. I mean, not not all these. You know, everyone has their own personalities when it comes down to doing this kind of thing. But they do these these very, I would say, shout out to them. Labor intensive, researched spotlights on various things in comic book mythology. It could be about anything. It could be about uh, the blue area, not our own blue area. That's a separate thing. But it could be about the blue area. It could be about Latveria. It could be about you know a specific character or region. It could be about any intellectual property in in, in any variant of the comic book landscape. So they had always promised to discuss the Black Panther. So lo and behold, I visit their website and I see they have this three-hour-long. I, I, I kid you not, three-hour-long discussion on the Black Panther. And I have to say, I, I really, I haven't even gone through all of it, but I might have gone through maybe the first hour. But I was really, really entertained and informed. I mean, I, I think I have a fairly decent handle on comic book knowledge um at one point i was more encyclopedic with it daryl might surpass me as far as encyclopedic knowledge from day to day but if he has a phd i definitely have a master's in comic book history anyway uh just just so enjoyable to listen to these guys just rattle off um all of the minutiae centered around 
the Black Panther character. And it just it just reminds me, and, I, and, and again, I, I, I'll get into this deep, more deeply, but I would implore our listenership for those who are into comic books to definitely just Google comic, comic geek speak or go to YouTube and do a search on Black Panther comic geek speak if you're into this. If you're as uh, anal as I am about this kind of stuff, I would advise you to check it out. But you know the behind the scenes thing, and even the black the Black Panther um, political group that disconnection they were never really connected. But um, the thoughts of Spike uh, Spike Lee, <laughs> the thoughts of the different Lee, the thoughts of Stanley Stanley Lieber Stanley and Jack Kirby Jack King Kirby, the thoughts behind their cre- their creating this this empowered black character in the mid 60s um well they they really go in and go into certain stories and and i guess i i must emphasize this one of the things that that i'm concerned with when it comes down to um black imagery and yes shout out to to the to the blurred girl you can always check her out as well the blurred girl uh b l e r d g u r g u r l the blurred girl we were on a panel earlier this year at the Schomburg Center for the Black Comic Book Festival, and that's online as well. Uh, shout out to Q Storm, our, our supporter Q Storm. I believe he he filmed uh, a great deal of our appearance, and we had a, a playful exchange about the Black Panther. And she she thought that well, you know, the Black Panther is a Marvel creation, you know, essentially saying well, white folks created. Right, white folks created uh, Black Panther, and 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 it's it's a it's a corporate structure, it's a white corporate structure. You're not going to get the movie you want. And uh, respectfully, I didn't want to go completely ham. You know, I, I think I even I think I even, I even uh, preternaturally spoke to my crew that was there. Um, of course, uh, the great uncanny Daryl B. And Captain Kirk, I said, before, I, when I stepped on the stage, I shouted out to them, before I started speaking, should I go 25%, should I go 50%, or should I go full throttle? And I think they said, just do 25%. So that's why I didn't, that would have been disrespectful. But when she said, you know, she likened to this whole thing about, you know, we, we are, um, you know, we're infants and we we're helpless people. This is a white corporate thing, yada yada yada. I wanted to say that hey, uh, basketball is a white corporate creation, white corporate cultural creation. You go to the 1950 footage professional basketball, nothing but white dudes. Look at it now; it's a black sport. So just because it's a white corporate creation doesn't mean you can't put some shine on it. Doesn't mean you don't have influence. But I didn't want to go into that. I could have went, I could have really just dug in. That's okay. Let me just whatever. So what I'm saying is, ultimately, even if it even if it is a white or he is the Black Panther, a white invention, for the lack of a, of a better uh, terminology. It's a, a, a white intellectual property. When you listen to this podcast from these cats, 
they go so deep, and they admittedly say that the publishing history for Black Panther really isn't that as extensive as, say, a Captain America or anything else. But it's so um, well thought and planned. I mean, when you, when you listen to a three-hour show about Black Panther, just just the mythology, it might as well be Game of Thrones. So it is makes it is just to kind of close out on this, and then we'll get to the we'll get to a groove, and then we'll get to the to the meat. Um, it may be appreciative that for this one off, for this one off, for this one off, white corporate IP named Black Panther. Maybe they tripped up and gave us gave us a hell of a lot of pride, believe it or not, even if it's a fantasy that we can grab on grab onto and we will see 2018 just how this movie will work out but when you listen to how expansive the mythology is for for again a a character whose publishing history and and only until recently has become more prominent who's who's been mostly a a less than tertiary character that's that uh again has been a background player Who's just just getting his getting his shine? Tanasi Coates, the author Tanasi Coates, and now Roxanne Gay, um, doing the the World of Wakanda comic book. Just that 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 this is going down now, but going back to 1966, that the mythology is is quite quite extensive. I said, wow, this is we kind of need this. <laughs> we kind of need. Our dungeon and dungeon and dragons or Game of Thrones, whatever analogy you want to put in there, we need this in comparison to the to the minstrelsy, to the Flavor Flays, and I and I appreciate Flavor Flays involvement in Public Enemy, but post Public Enemy, we ha- we are in a sea of minstrelsy. So to hear, even if it's fantasy, this empowered scientific black nation. Even though, again, it's fantasy, we know fantasy can become reality very quickly. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Folks, this is, you probably thought it was a, a grindhouse show, but hey, it just worked out that way. Uh, <laughs> the call in number six four six nine one five nine six zero six. Let me get this straight. 646, pardon me, 915 9620 Six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. We'll go to another groove. It's your boy Afro Nerd. I'm here by myself, um, and then we'll get into the topics topics at hand. Um, always trying to give you a new groove. This is actually something from De La Soul. Never let it be said that I don't play progressive hip hop. This is Trainwreck, De La Soul, legendary hip hop group, Strong Island. In effect, we'll be right back. Let's groove. Don't walk out there with your hand open. Good things come to those who wait. She don't even care who she is. She don't care about nothing and nobody. You call it no class, no representation. My take on the day's woman, you got so many different flavors. You got so many different types. Give me the package deal. Any woman that know how to cook a good 22 pound ham, to the hoop. Nothing like a tall six foot five woman for a short man. 
got a lot more time to find the right one. And you do need to find the right one. She moved forward like proceed. Keep heads up like nosebleeds. A piece of the east from the north, but she off from the chain, so she cover all global leagues. Never touch faith, so unholy. Bullets found a target, a gun no me. A past life begs for my memory. A fan of a large, and I'm a member Steve. I give in to her like bad food. Sucker for love, yeah, I'm that dude. But when she's on the board, she give good oral. When I'm not with her, I get withdrawn. Lord, I'm half a man without a one accord. She claimed the math of man, she's just on the door. She leave you flawed Like an eye snake on third round She like a snake in a bird tail I'm addicted by design and fiend If she ever try to cut me from a team Don't turn your back When she's on that track Watch out for that train I want to grind on that coffee bean, a couple of cups of that Joe is a bad pep, she'll be swinging on chandeliers, baby got that skin that can handle years, mm. and I want my if she her mouth game is like rap a lot, her Facebook say she aim at this rap a lot, online surfing for them beach boys, to bring the sand under her feet boy, she my rock bottom like last office, wouldn't write me off like the last office, even though she a bomb scare, I'm standing right here. I'm right here. Don't turn your back when she's on that track. Watch out for that train wreck. Cause when she comes, you better watch your back. Watch out, she's a train wreck. Don't turn your back when she's on that track. Let's stick with Bill O'Reilly after this interview between O'Reilly and Donald Trump. Bill O'Reilly had very, very specific thoughts about the working conditions for the slaves who built the White House, choosing this, apparently championing the fact that slavery wasn't that bad for many of the people who were owned by others based on skin color. Michelle Obama, Tuesday night at the DNC, said the following about how this country has changed. So that today... I wake up every morning in a house that was built by slaves. And and, and I watch my daughters, two beautiful, intelligent black young women, playing with their dogs on the White House lawn. So Bill O'Reilly heard this. And he really needed to comment. He really wanted to tell us, well, slaves, hold on a second. Here's how Bill O'Reilly felt it necessary to follow up. But Adams was in there with Abigail, and they were still hammering nails. The construction was still going on. Slaves that worked there were well-fed and had decent lodgings (laughs) provided by the government, which stopped hiring slave labor in 1802. So he's arguing that, yes, the black people who built the White House 
were owned by white people based on the color of their skin, but they also had food and lodging, which compared to many other slaves was really not that bad. I was saying to myself, why would we even start such a weird debate or discussion? And, and maybe it's only weird to me. Maybe a significant portion of Bill O'Reilly's audience is interested in trying to minimize how bad slavery was. But there's, there's this a very, you have to pick your battles as a right winger. And it's surprising to me that minimizing how bad slavery was for some slaves who were owned by other people based on the color of their skin is one of those battles to fight. Yeah, um, he's he's just basically saying that it's okay that they that slaves built this and that they were slaves because they were well fed and had good lodging, which is completely subjective. What does that even mean? How does he really know what the lodgings were like? But he does seem to be one of those people who is part of that movement who tries to make it seem as if slaves in general were treated very well and it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's it's really no different to me from Holocaust denial. How long until people like Bill O'Reilly start denying that slavery even happened at all? Michelle Obama was making a broader point about how beautiful it is that her daughters are able to join their father, the first black president of the United States, in the White House, which was built by slaves, and that at that point, the president could have been one of those slaves himself. It's a sign of how far the country has come. It's a positive message. I say to right-wingers, if this is the battle you want to fight, have at it. I don't know that there's much benefit because it is not going to appeal to even every Republican, never mind every voter in the fall. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Gamefly is sort of like Netflix for video. All right. All right. Um, For the previous cut, that was Trainwreck by the legendary Strong Island, Long Island group, De La Soul. Um, That was from the Parkman TV YouTube channel. Um, I think they do like a secular, I think it's also another imprint called Secular Talk. And I thought that they, it was a pretty good takedown or a pretty good assessment of the one portion of a number of uh, highlights for last week's DNC, Democratic National Convention. Um, Long-time listeners know that uh, I, 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 I am a conservative. I have a conservative bent, um, and, and uh, a lot of it has to be noted that I do it for Machiavellian purposes, um, partially. Part of it is because I do have a I do have a conservative a conservative outlook on many things. But I mean, I think it's a natural order of things to have um, to be conservative about about some things. And to be liberal about other things. This whole this whole notion of someone being completely one thing or the other, that to me, I, I guess, well, obviously these people exist, but it it, it goes it, it goes against the natural order. I, I can't see someone just being completely one way, and I become very leery of people that who, who are rabidly liberal or rabidly conservative. Uh, I think black folks. Again, we need to be a, and this is speaking tribally, we need to be a hell of a lot more Machiavellian in our movements, especially the way things are going down right now, uh, at least how they're being perceived thanks to our media. So I, I put that caveat out there because, one, just because I am conservative doesn't mean that I vote conservative all the way through. I might vote 
Democratic for the large ticket and vote Republican locally or vice versa. It is it is kind of an individual thing. I have to kind of weigh the weigh the the odds or, or weigh the resumes of each individual political figure. So I'm no Trump supporter. Let me let me make that perfectly clear. I, I've actually been a supporter of the Obamas for quite some time. I think even Obama, when he first came out, he had said that uh, he had used the term Obamacans, meaning Republicans that could, that could kind of um, understand his message, or that he was he was making making an appeal to Republicans by by using the term Obamacans. And we see that Hillary Clinton, from if we're to believe some outlets, they're saying that there are a number of Republicans that are jumping ship, going to her side because of the circumstances, because it appears that the, 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 the top ticket, the top ticket holder, Donald Trump, doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. So, and, and I'll go into that more deeply, but I just want to just kind of put that out there as a caveat as to, as to why, I'm a, why I am a conservative and why it doesn't really matter in the in the aggregate, in the larger scheme of things. When you get into that voting booth, you're going to, you're going to make your personal decisions. Um, so anyway, the Republican National Convention, was, which was the week that preceded in Cleveland, that, the week that preceded the DNC, that was a funeral march. That might as well have been B, B versus S Part 2. It's a funeral march. Admittedly, and it, it, you 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 also have to take note that many many of the Republican hierarchy or the or the the um, mainstream Republicans that you would have expected to see at the RNC they were not there. The Romneys, the Bushes, they weren't there. So. That's one side of the fence. Let's talk about the DNC. So the DNC went full circle. Oftentimes, liberals are positioned or perceived to be not that patriotic. Or in the last couple of years, the Republicans have usurped the the notion of jingoism, especially uh, in the wake of 9-11 when that occurred during a, a Republican regime, during the, the Bush administration. So uh, I, I would say wrongfully, I, I, I'm not going to say that a, a Democrat can't be um, patriotic, but for the, for the sake of political expediency, the Republicans kind of took over that, took over, took over that vibe. This time around, it was all jingoism from a liberal perspective. So what happens? One of the highlights that I was able to definitely understand and appreciate it, and I I thought it was appropriate, was our first lady, Michelle Obama, she 
had a masterful, masterful speech, her own. I'm pretty sure Melania would have liked to have done it. Not that she can't. I said it to be jestful, but not to not to be that jestful because she did she did sample she did her own she did her own sampling on the hip hop tip of Michelle Obama's speech from the 2008 DNC. Um, so she made a reference to to slavery, and let's let's be clear about this. This is pretty. This is this is history. This is, these are the facts. See, my issue, whether you're on the right or on the left, is that you have the you have the facts, and you can interpret the facts however you want to, but you're not allowed to have your own separate set of facts. And that's where we are in some respects. You cannot discount the facts. And the facts, the historical record denotes that slaves responsible for a large portion of the construction of the White House. That's not, that's the, you can't refute that. That's the deal. Even on the engineering architectural side, the great Benjamin Banneker should be noted for the construction of the White House. A black man. I mean, these are, these are facts. They give me a great deal of pride. But take away the pride, two plus two is still four. It's still the facts. For some reason, and I, and I, I knew this was going to happen. Once I saw that speech, once I heard it, <clears throat> pardon me. I have a slight cold, ladies and gentlemen. My my apologies. Once I heard it, I said, this isn't going to go well. I knew it. I knew it. There's more. I have another clip, actually. Hold on. Rush Limbaugh weighing in. Hold on. Rush Limbaugh is also frustrated with Michelle Obama's uh, references to slavery in her speech at the DNC, although he has a slightly different angle on it than Bill O'Reilly. So let's listen. No matter, no matter when or what the occasion, they can't stop talking about slavery. And largely in a context of, hey, you know what? It isn't settled yet. Hey, you know what? We haven't fixed it yet. I mean, that's their starting point. And I think that's a no-win situation for us because we've made great strides. This country has made phenomenal strides since then. Imagine that your wife has an affair, but you and your wife get together and you decide that you're going to forgive her. You're going to look past it for the sake of the marriage and your kids, and you move forward. He said, okay. Now imagine, sir, every argument you have, you continue to remind her that she's to blame for everything because she's the one that had the affair. I said, your relationship doesn't have a prayer if you can't let it go. If all you can do is continue to remind her what you've already forgiven her for, then the days of your relationship are over. And the grievance industry does, they don't want solutions. They want to be able to do just that, no matter what progress, no matter what agreements, no matter what, they don't want to acknowledge that anything has been done. And that's how I hear the Obamas. So can I just say that, that that's the exact opposite of yeah. what Michelle Obama said. 
Michelle Obama said, we've made great strides. We went from having nothing and having to build this White House to living in the White House and two beautiful black daughters playing around in the yard. What a wonderful country. What, what great progress. And she was, in fact, talking about it in the context of we don't have to make America great again. It's already great. How much more could she celebrate the country? But the very mention of the word slavery triggers for Rush Limbaugh's and the Bill O'Reilly's. Like, oh, there they go again. Oh, with this sl- hey, dude, we didn't, they, he, she didn't say any of that. That's just your guilt that you're projecting out. But, Rush, you, don't, you didn't do the slavery. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So Why far are, as we know. <laughs> so, uh, like, I don't hear somebody right. talking about slavery go, what do you mean? Well, are you accusing me of something? Yeah. Right. It's, but, Rush, you didn't do it. Nobody now did it. You don't have to pretend like you're guilty about it. There's obviously something inside of you where you think, oh, I'm involved in perpetuating racism, so I, you're taking it personally. We didn't say you do it. It's so obvious. So now, on to his core argument. Now, if you want to bring up, does slavery still have an effect? That's not what Michelle Obama brought up. You yep. brought it up. Yep. But right. then I can answer that question for you. Look, it, it's any rational person knows that there are socioeconomic conditions that arise because of the history of any country and any ethnicity within that country. I can give you dozens of examples in different countries. But in this case, right now, the average uh, white household has about uh, $150,000 in wealth. A lot of that is in their house. Do you know what the average African-American household has in wealth? On average, about 11000 So when you are born into an African-American household, you're born into a situation where you're at an enormous disadvantage. Now, is that, I know what some conservatives say, oh, yeah, of course, they're lazy. No, you schmucks. Anyone who has studied this will tell you that, of course, that if this group had no wealth to begin with, literally, because they were slaves, and then they were discriminated against for 100 years, which you will agree, Jim Crow, separate water fountains, you can't have these jobs, et cetera. They clearly were, and you can't have as good an education. And then you begin to fix that in the 1960s, and then we've had 50 years of progress, but obviously not enough. You now get to a point where, yes, some African-Americans have wonderful opportunity, which we all celebrate. But obviously... All right, you get the gist. Again, Jank Uger, Young Turks on YouTube, check them out. They're more on the progressive side of things, but I will confess I, I listen to all types. There's, I listen to, to atheists on YouTube. I like some of what they say. I listen to conservatives, certainly, on YouTube. And I, I can listen to progressive. I can listen to a lot of different viewpoints, and as a critical thinker, I come up probably with an amalgam of all those viewpoints based on my personal strainer. That's me. That's how I come up. I, I critically think. I, I go by what I think to be, what I perceive to be valid. I use I use reasoning. So, a couple of things to our audience. And again, folks, this is the midweek in review edition of Afro Nerd. By my lonesome. <laughs> uh, don't forget that Saturday, the Grindhouse is powered by the Afro Nerd machine. 6 p.m. We're gonna go. Full body karate with the Suicide Squad. Hopefully it's not a debacle, but that's that's an aside. Anyway, back to this whole deal with Michelle Obama's, our first lady, her slave reference. Um, yeah, when I first heard heard and saw that 
great speech that she that she made. I knew. I knew. I said, okay, any time you make any kind of reference to slavery, even though it was a factual one, it was just a factual observation. And I think I might have said the same thing internally back in 2009, Inauguration Day. I, I believe I said that to the captain's predecessor, Mr. Starks, a.k.a. Iron Man. I think I said that to him. That wow, this is this is a deal. This is a deal, and I made the slavery thing. It's it's unavoidable. I mean, you know, now we're we're comfortable with seeing a black family in a White House. You know, now children. You know, you you you've had eight years with of these people. So now you have children that let's say they were toddlers or preteens back in '08. Now they're clearly teenagers or older and this is just normal to them so if you if you just take in the historical record but the idea that I was fully aware that this was going to be an issue I, I almost think that Michelle Obama trolled these fools I think there's there's a quite a quite a bit of perform, performance and trolling, and let me let me let me be clear about what I'm really saying. If you can do or say something, knowing full and fully well that there's going to be some kind of reaction, you know, if you, you know, whatever, whatever you, whatever the, he or she may do, that you know full and well that this is going to cause a reaction, that's kind of trolling. And I mean that respectfully, and I mean that kind of in a playful way. She trolled them, and they bit. I think that uh, Counselor Khan, and I'll talk about him in a moment, also from the DNC, the grieving father of the fallen soldier of, of Muslim descent, Islamic descent, pardon me, or Arabic descent, he trolled these guys, or or the Clinton folks put out this performance, I'm putting that in quotes, and they did a bit of trolling and got that reaction. It might, it, I, I hope it's not that uh, insidious, but I think that's what's going on. I think both parties or both camps do this, and we sit back with our popcorn and we just observe, or we react also, we're complicit in some of this stuff. But as an African-American, a man of color looking at that, I thought it was a nice anecdote. You know what? I, I, sometimes I, I need to do my, my own fair share of deracializing. Even if I, if I deracialize it, I think if, as an American citizen or a, or a history buff, it's a good piece of anecdotal data to put out there the descendants of the descendants of slaves coming from really dire circumstances to be at the foot or at, to be at the seat of power it's an accomplishment we can say it's symbolism you know we we know it's all symbolism but let's let's just just for face value it's a thing and it's our history it's black 
history in the micro and it's American history in the macro. But these people that have this kind of tick, and black people and white people, all people, have ticks that I notice. That where it's just the logic centers or the emotionalism or something happens where, you know, you should just lay low and be quiet. That's something that really was it really was just something that you you could have just let that pass, but they couldn't let it pass because it hits an emotional nerve center with these people. Now, you notice the the, the uh, not so sensitive not so sensitive white people, the ones that kind of get it. Um, the progressive white folks, and they're out there, the progressive, evolved white people, they looked at this as, okay, this is just our history. They are out there. Believe it or not, they are out there. We have to be honest as black people. We may not see them as frequently as we would like to, but you have you have those who are who happen to be white, who who may be evolved, or may at least at the very very smallest bit, they have intellectual curiosity, and I'm appreciative of anyone who has that across the across the ethnicity ethnicity plane, I, I would at least want you to have intellectual curiosity. But for the Rush Limbaugh's and for the Bill O'Reilly's, and Bill O'Reilly, this went on for a couple of days. His, his little bit of, his addendum, he had like an addendum, addendum, addendum to the fact. He just said, well, essentially, essentially, Michelle Obama was correct. Yeah, we kind of knew that. What, what does essentially mean? Essentially, black people were slaves. Yes, essentially they were. I mean, you could tell you can't whittle around the facts. And then, and then you try to minimize slavery, but you can't minimize slavery without looking stupid. Well, they were well-fed, and they were, they were clothed and housed. They were still a slave. I mean, you, 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 have, you had no rights. You were still, at that point, three-fifths of a human. You, you, there's no way to minimize the horror of the slave. You can't minimize the Holocaust, Holocaust victim who was gaunt and minutes from going into an oven. You can't minimize that. You can, but I'm sure a racist will try to minimize that. So I guess where, where I'm at now is I find I just find it curious that you have a set of people that try to dismantle what slavery is to the black experience in this country. I, I liken it, and, I, and and folks, I'm always referencing pop culture. It seems like it's it's everything is interconnected, tangentially related. <clears throat> Pardon me. I was thinking the best way to describe in the Americas with the uh, the European slave trade, the triangular slave trade, the, the, the result of it, I would liken it to Frankenstein. What does he mean? 
you you can't critique Frankenstein's monster. Black people are the European Frankenstein monster. Again, what does he mean? This is our history. Now, in the aggregate, as a black person, a man of color, I ingest all history connected to the diaspora. Pan-Africanism, black British culture, the Haitian Revolution, uh, the colonial experience in Africa, black Brazilians, black folks in, in the Americas. And hell, I'm hearing that they were black folks in China. I take all of that. That's my history as a pan, having a pan-Africanist Pan-Africanist mindset I don't just perceive myself Pardon me I just don't perceive myself As an African American in that way As far as the historical record If When when you see When we speak to um, Comic book creators From Nigeria um, And they're And they're more forthcoming Those If To be tribal Because I go in and out of tribalism I will confess all of that is my history. I don't make the distinction if a black person is winning in some other continent, country, or state. And if we get to if we get to uh, intergalactic travel, I'll be repping for black folks on Mars. Yes, indeed. Yes, I will do that. <laughs> I will do that. Um, I don't make the distinctions. Afro Latin. Anything Afro and something else, I engulf that. I ingest it. But as far as the specifics of black people in this country, this is a Frankenstein monster that European slavers created. So, yes, I accept and ingest all of the history beyond beyond the African-American experience, but... What is specific to the African-American experience is it is an experiment trying to graft a European mentality on a black body. And that is, that is what it means to be black in this country. That is what it means. So very rarely are black folks allowed to actually uh, go into this with white people as if they don't know it, or maybe they maybe they don't know it, maybe they don't know it um, intellectually. So when someone says, "Well, stop bringing that up," stop, you know, stop doing this. Why do we have to keep on talking about that? Because it is part of black culture, and even black folks don't really like it. Sometimes I have to check myself. Sometimes it, it, it is a very uh, weary and painful history. But just as Frankenstein's monster got hit with that bolt, and, and we saw that in, in the 1930 movie, Boris, Boris Karloff, and the actor, I can't remember the actor's name now, I should know this, the actor screams out, It's alive! It's alive. 
or was that was that the Bride of Frankenstein? One of those. Anyway, that's what who that's that's who black people are, and for us to, for us to kind of dismantle the slavery part of the black experience, it's it's offensive even beyond white people's discomfort. You can't get away from the lightning bolt. You can't get away from the lightning bolt. Sorry. Sorry. So I just, I'm very I'm just fascinated that that, pe- that you you can't mention that. You can't do it. Too much pain for them. Too much pain for them. So, again, I can go into this. I can talk about I can talk for uh, incessantly about the the idiocy of how that transpired. Just just and just how I was able to forecast that, oh yeah, they they don't want you to talk about that. And and the and the whole issue is again, as as was mentioned in the clip, the story really isn't about just being a slave. It's about the black Ameri- the black American experience. Each ethnicity is going to be able to go up there and give you their perspective. The black this is where I, this is where I, I, even, I even spoke to um, Captain Kirk's predecessor, um, Mr. Starks, about this recently. This is where I can support BLM on an ethereal level. What does Afro Nerd say? What does he talk about? Uh, I critique and deconstruct Black Lives Matter a lot on this show. Ethereally, this is a Black Lives Matter moment in the sense that your black history doesn't matter. And this is where you start to, you start to, you do start to see, and, and, and again, I must repeat that I have grave issues with Black Lives Matter. But the premise of Black Lives Matter is not that other lives don't matter, but that we're, we're seeing an uptick in death. And we have to make note of it. Now, where that uptick is coming from is where I have a problem with Black Lives Matter. But the fact that we're being told you can't mention slavery, that this is your history, you're wrong for doing that, it's, it's dismissive. They're being dismissive of Frankenstein's birth. Once you... Once you grafted grafted all those body parts to the monster, and if, and if you noticed in recent um, interpretations of Frankenstein, the Frankenstein is oh in recent interpretation is that he is he is sentient, um, well spoken, and not what he what his appearance is. And that's I, that's what we've been seeing in recent interpretations. That he is, uh, even in the the recent Penny Dreadful, he was erudite. He was he was far from a monster. And I guess that's that's the the tragic the tragedy of the story. But Frankenstein's monster was a grafted human being comprised of many body parts. He was a thing. And black history, or the black experience, is a, we're talking about being grafted, not being African, not really being fully African, not really being fully European. 
a Frankenstein's monster. And now you're upset that that monster is quite eloquent in telling you what went down. That's it. I just, I, I'm just, um, I'm numb about this kind of stuff at this point now. I'm just numb about it. I just find it. I, I, I will say this, and we're, go, we're going to go to another groove, and I'll go more into the DNC, a lot more to cover. But I, I do find it, I do lament that we do not have the voices that we once had. And I, and I, I love YouTube so much because it is an archive on a lot of different levels. It's, it's um, microfiche for the public. That at one time you had to go through a lot of rigmarole to, to access certain historical documents or uh, video imagery. And now I do lament when you are able to actually see a very much alive uh, Malcolm X or very much alive James Baldwin, um, A. Philip Randolph, or you know, now we're actually hearing what Booker T. Washington sounded like. They have, because uh, I believe Booker T. died in 1915. So they have a sound, they have sound of Booker T. Washington, I believe. Um, or when they even go into, go into what uh, some, of the, some of the words of, of uh, Frederick Douglass. These were very, very, uh, near genius intellect black folk, if not genius intellect black folk. And we just do not have, in my opinion, I could be wrong until somebody tells me otherwise, I just don't, I just don't see public black folk with that kind of gravitas that would be able to smack back on white coonery. They're just not there. Um, Reverend Sharpton isn't doing it for me. No. The late Julian Bond would do that. I mean, it was just a whole host of people. James Farmer, what have you. A whole host of figures that were out there before social media, before, you know, before uh, the, the, before the access that we have now. Before the electronic access that we have now, the, the being able to tweet and Instagram, I mean, some of it is foolish, but imagine if those, those stalwart figures, Adam Clayton Powell Jr., those are my heroes, those people, the, the artists from the, the artists and authors from the Harlem Renaissance, imagine if they had the kind of access that black folks have now. And I just, I just, I would feel more comfortable if I saw black representation, the way that 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 um, my parents saw th- those folk. That you saw Harry Belafonte, who's very much alive and with us. Those people were able to smack back with great erudition and 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 cogitation, slap back at these racists. You can't have Snoop Dogg slapping back. Maybe Roland Martin. I mean, you know, he's out there. But these, these, these are pale comparisons to people. But as far as folks that I really see, 
Um, they're not doing it. So we suffer. We suffer. That's it for my soapbox, folks. I, I can just go on and on and on. Um, more on the DNC. I have more clips, more Muzak. Um, let's go to Unlike Pluto, Waiting for You, New Groove featuring Joanna Jones, giving you new herb alt, black rock, Afro punk. We'll be right back, folks. Let's groove. You've been far away. What have you got to say? My heart is on display, but I'm not afraid. Yeah, I'm not afraid. Why?
between Kaiser Khan, whose son, Captain Khan, uh, was killed in Iraq uh, fighting for the U.S. military, um, and there have been, and Donald Trump, there have been Republicans who've come out on the side of the Khans, and they should be given credit. So um, Kaiser Khan, the, the father, asked Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell to basically denounce Donald Trump on this issue, and they have. Uh, they said that you know the sacrifice of the Khan family is incredibly important uh, and should be cherished. And furthermore, they disagree with Donald Trump on banning Muslims from the country or using a religious test like that. So credit to uh, Ryan and McConnell on that. Even Mike Pence, who is the running mate of Donald Trump, has tried to walk back the comments and says, oh, but Captain Gun's a hero. Like you could almost sense in his uh, wording like, oh, what am I going to do with this knucklehead who's at the top of the ticket? No, 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 no. We, we're in favor of fallen heroes and their, and their families. But I wanted to share one special um, editorial with you guys. It's from John McCain. He wrote a letter that I thought was very touching. These are the great moments of John McCain, who also, by the way, was a captain, uh, but in the Navy. Um, he wrote, in recent days, Donald Trump disparaged the fallen soldier's parents. He has suggested that the likes of their sons should not be allowed in the United States to say nothing of entering its service. I cannot emphasize enough how deeply I disagree with Mr. Trump's statement. I hope Americans understand that the remarks do not represent the views of our Republican Party, its officers, or candidates. Well, on that last part, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Um, it, the fact that it doesn't represent your views, you're making clear, and I commend you for it, and that's why I'm doing this segment. Uh, but it apparently does represent the views of the Republican voters, or enough of them that put him at the top of your ticket. So don't pretend that you're not in that party that holds those views, because you are. Now, nonetheless, don't get me wrong. majority of this is about a great, great letter from John McCain, who did the right thing here. So he goes on to say, Captain Khan's death in Iraq on June 8, 2004, was a shining example of the valor and bravery inculcated into our military when a suicide bomber accelerated his vehicle toward a facility with hundreds of American soldiers. Captain Khan ordered his subordinates away from the danger. Then he ran toward it. The suicide bomber, striking prematurely, claimed the life of Captain Khan, and Captain Khan, through his selfless action and sacrifice, saved the lives of hundreds of his brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes you'll see stories of fallen soldiers where it is unbelievable valor. And so even if this story is only a quarter true, it's still a thousand times braver than anything I've done, uh, let alone Donald Trump. So when you think of what he has done, the idea of criticizing him and his parents is unspeakable. Yet Donald Trump is talking about how his father, Kaiser Khan, viciously attacked him, that he is the victim. And he's saying, yeah, I would keep you uh, out of the country, and I would have kept your son out of the country because of radical Islamic terror. And so I'm throwing you in the same lot as the people we're fighting, even though you were fighting for us and died for us. The degree to which that is loathsome is indescribable. And when you hear what Captain Khan did, it becomes even more stark. Then McCain quotes uh, the Bible. He says, Scripture tells us that, quote, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And, um, and, you know, if the Republican Party was still a party of values and that claims to be following the Judeo-Christian heritage, you might want to follow that part of the Judeo-Christian heritage. McCain went on to say about Captain Khan, his name will live forever in American memory as an example of true American greatness. Uh, so now on to Trump, he says... It is time for Donald Trump 
to set the example of our country, for our country and the future of the Republican Party. While our party has bestowed upon him the nomination, it is not accompanied by unfettered license to defame those who are the best among us. So this is an excellent repudiation of Donald Trump from someone who I greatly disagree with on many issues. You know, if you've watched this show, you see the parts that I've given John McCain credit for and, and the parts that I've criticized him on. But every once in a while, John McCain does something so courageous that you go, well, I salute you, my captain. And, uh, and, and it's certainly uh, what he did in the Vietnam War. And if you're not familiar with John McCain's story, I know a lot of you are, but just real quick, it wasn't just that he was captured. As Donald Trump said, I prefer people who weren't captured in war. By the way, Donald Trump accomplished that mission by not going to Vietnam in the first place. He got a medical deferment. Then later, at the age of 70, as he was running for president, uh, his doctor said he was in excellent shape. What happened to all your medical problems when you were a young guy, Donald, and you used it as an excuse to get out of Vietnam? You ran, and then he said, well, I went to a lot of sex parties at the time, and avoiding STDs was my own personal Vietnam. That's what he said. Now, McCain wasn't just captured. That's not what made him a hero. When they told him that he could go because they found out he was the son of a, of a high-ranking admiral in the U.S. Army, and they wanted to use that for propaganda, McCain said, I will not leave without my fellow soldiers. He voluntarily stayed. You see, that's a hero. So please, Donald Trump, say it was anything about the Khan family or John McCain. Just, I know you have no decency, but have a little bit of wisdom to at least avoid this topic. I want to leave on a note from McCain to the Khan family. He said, lastly, I'd like to say that Mr. and Mrs. Khan, thank you for immigrating to America. We're a better country because of you, and you are certainly right. Your son was the best of America, and the memory of his sacrifice will make us a better nation, and he will never be forgotten. That's an American uh, that you know, doesn't care at this moment, at a moment that matters, about party. He has in other cases, uh, but, but here, all the credit in the world to John McCain. All right, folks, I figured I'd let that ride uh, again from the, from the Young Turks. Um, wow. There's a lot to unpack with what is going on with Donald Trump and the DNC and, well, the Democratic Party now. DNC is over. Um, as I said earlier, that that situation could have easily been an orchestrated trolling event. And it only becomes a trolling event if you react to it. And someone who has some degree of discipline, a skosh of discipline, would not have reacted to civilians who were giving their opinion at the DNC and vice versa. But Many have said that they could not, based on, based on how we see Donald Trump reacting on a daily basis to minutia, based on the precedent that he's already laid out, that's another thing that I kind of sort of thought that, okay, he's going to take this personally. That would have been a, a wise 
a politician or someone who's halfway intelligent would have had Attorney Khan just let that go. He's a grieving father, even if his he has an opinion about you as a presidential candidate, even if you don't like to hear it, you have to take that. What did Puffy used to say in his song, take that, take that? Take that. But this man is so sensitive that he must react react to everything and everyone. A smart politician would have just let that go. But what happens is he elevated Attorney Khan and made it personal. So I, I, I look at this thing on a lot of different levels. One, I look at it look at it interestingly that as I mentioned before, the mainstream Republicans are just they're taking a hands off approach with, with with Trump. They're letting Trump just act out. They're making it seem as if he's not even really I mean, you know, he's been perceived as a rhino previously. But I think even a rhino, I've been called a rhino, Republican in name only. A rhino is something you say where someone may not be Republican enough, but it doesn't mean you don't. It doesn't mean, uh, heck, I think Romney's been called a, a rhino. It doesn't mean that you are an idiot, or that you have some kind of some kind of emotional disturbance. I mean, this is exactly what we're seeing with this man. I mean, you you can't have a president that reacts to everything. That's one thing that. You must say, even if you're not a supporter of Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, even if you're not a supporter, you must confess, even though there are many that will not. And that within itself is something that is just some kind of mental disorder. But you must confess for, ra- for a rational person that President Barack Obama was a fine representative for the United States on a global level. You never saw this man not acting in a classy, um, intellectualized, evolved way. He was always had, had a certain demeanor, a certain deportment. And you must have these things if you're going to be the president of the United States. You can't have somebody mouth off or tweets erratically for every little thing. I mean, you, first of all, you wouldn't be able to get any work done. So I guess I just, I just have to have what uh, Dr. John McWhorter, I'm kind of riffing off of him when he used the term uh, cerebral equipoise. I kind of ha- sort of have that, where you have to just look at this as uh, like, the, like Uwatu, am I pronouncing it correctly? Uwatu from... Uh, from Marvel mythology, I'm always referencing pop culture. I, I have to look at it as, as as a watcher. I have to look at this like I, I can't I can't be emotionally invested. You're just looking at it's not even a performance at this point now. I, I don't know what this is. We have a call. I think I know what this is. Let's open up the lines. Two oh one. Welcome to Lonesome Dove. <laughs> uh, your boy, Debert. Now, why is this thing not engaging? Let me try this. Let me try this one more time. Hello. Yes. Hey, Q-Storm. It's, uh, Q-Storm. What's up, man? How uh, you doing? I, I, I'm, 
Good, good. I don't know how I sound. I'm, I'm actually on location in North Carolina, a state that tried to disenfranchise thousands of black voters. So, um, hope I well, that doesn't okay. seem to matter. That that doesn't seem to matter to the folks, to the likes of Bow Wow and Nick Cannon. <laughs> Hello. Q. Okay, Q. If you're able to call back, call back. Somehow we somehow you were dropped. That was our friend Q Storm from Podcast Juice. Uh, Q, if you're listening, call right back. Folks, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd, normally featuring Captain Kirk. He's out on assignment. Okay, he's back. Let's try this again. Q Storm. Hey, I don't, I don't know if that was on my end or not, um, but uh, I'll be brief. Um, and I hope this. Uh, I hope I make sense when I say what I'm trying to articulate. I, I don't know. I just think Trump is just another manifestation of how white America, not all white America, not all white Americans, I'm going to say the aggregate of white America, how they tend to react or overreact, if you will, towards black empowerment and achievement. I feel, and please correct me if you think I'm, if I, if you think I'm out of pocket, but when you look at... Uh, post-1865 with uh, the abolition of slavery, that that white American uh, overreaction gave birth to the KKK. And I think nowadays you're seeing the white overreaction to having a black president for eight years. You're seeing it in people actually embracing Trump despite all the things he said that would have another person completely disqualified to even run or get the nomination on the Republican side of the aisle. I, I honestly think that it's just, and you, and you see with Michelle Obama when she talks about, she makes a she makes a, 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 a she makes a speech that involves slaves being uplifted throughout the centuries since we were slaves, and you see the overreaction that uh, that is the result of that one comment. So I, I, I want to get you. I'm, I'm just curious what you think about that theory. I just think white America as a whole, they are going to over. They're going to react violently and 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 vociferously in the face of black empowerment and black achievement. Well, a, a couple of things. This, this is I, I, you know I, I try to give a nuanced view because it just seems to work for me. I, I, I like to look at things um, as as surgically as I can. Um, and, and I try not to be hyperbolic. Now, what I what I I understand the emotion of what you're saying, but we also have to take note that there were a great deal, a uh, great amount of white people that voted for Barack Obama in the first place. Barack Obama would not be president solely on the backs of people of color, black folks specifically. But even even if you uh, include the the other folks of color, which was which is what basically comprises of his, uh, comprises his base. Even when you consider that, there had to be a whole lot of progressive or at least fair-minded white people that wanted to give this man a shot and gave him a shot twice. For the sake of accuracy, you can't just say the majority of white people. I, I would say to be surgical is that there is a, a remaining 
amount or a a certain segment of of white white people in this country that still harbor these kind of views. This is how they really feel. But to say the majority, I, I don't know if we can say that yet. Well, I, I, mean, I don't know. You're, you're I don't right, Deebert. You're right. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I is, you know what it is? You, you got to say things. You got to say things where people can't deconstruct your argument. No, I understand. Maybe I should have said you're right. I, I probably should have used the most surgical, uh, a surgically precise tool and said uh, you're uh, you're non-progressive. You're non-progressive mainstream. Because yes, you're right. I agree 100. percent Barack Obama would not have been president for eight years if not for uh, uh, a lot of the white vote. So there is that certain segment of society that is willing to lash back, all hell be damned, no matter what the consequences may be, in the face of black achievement. So you're right. Let me let me let me walk that back a little bit. And also, uh, I see that that my co-host he's he's come in. He's peeking in. Uh, Cap, is that you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's up, man? Uh, we're talking about Donald Trump. We're talking about. I know. Um, I know. I heard. I heard the last twenty listening? minutes. Last okay. 20 minutes. Um, I'm just responding to to our friend Q Storm. Uh, well, and again, Q, you got to think about the Bernie Sanders Bernie Sanders supporters. You got to think about the Hillary Clinton supporters. You got to think about the amount of people who actually vote. I mean, this is a big country. So when you say all all of these people, you just got to say there's a sizable contingent, or there's a remaining um, a remaining amount of uh, undetermined amount of whites who hold these kind of views. And you know, hopefully, hopefully we may be seeing them die out. This might be that boil on the on the buttocks that is about to be popped, to be gross. That might be that's, that might be where what we what we are seeing. Um, now, what is interesting is, is there still more? There's still more white people than, than than people of color. There's still more. So, what we have to see is, if if you really see Donald Trump winning this with all of these negatives, then you know it's going down. <laughs> then you right now the jury's still out because. Uh, Listen, for, it's a, there's a sizable amount because his deportment is so off the rail. He was he shouldn't be considered by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, just I'm hearing I'm hearing I'm hearing that he had a conference uh, I don't know recently where he was he was inquiring about nuclear weapons. He was asking some expert, why haven't we used nuclear weapons? Why can't we use them? This is Donald Trump. Donald Trump asked, why can't we use nuclear weapons? Okay. Any rational person listening to someone having this kind of discourse would say, okay, I might dig his racism. I can't go there. Even the racist would have to say, oh, okay. Okay, wait a minute. This guy, even I can't, even Beelzebub would have to say, I was with you, Donald, until you went there. So can you cite the, the source? You, that's amazing. Can you cite that source? 
Uh, well, I'm on air now, but I, I will tell you this. I Googled it earlier this afternoon, and it was, it was several, I mean, quite a few reports. I'm, I'm doing this even as I'm speaking to you. There were several reports that came in, and I believe there was even an interview on CNN, uh, maybe with the, the nuclear expert that, that had this conversation. But, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been reported, and reports are coming in. I'm not going to say some people say, which is something that Donald Trump does quite a bit. But, yes, it's, it's very easy to, re, to research that, at least from what I've heard for the duration. He said, he inquired about why haven't we used them, can we use them. I mean, now, my 10-year-old knows about Hiroshima. My 10-year-old could tell you a little bit about Hiroshima. That's, I mean, that's the answer that, he sh- that Trump should have gotten in grade school. Well, listen, I don't well, think I, he's even I, about I, that. Can I interject yeah, sure, sure, and say sure, the sure. real answer? Sure. Sure. Well, the real answer why you can't use nuclear weapons, because if any city where they're targeted, where you have more than 100 we- tons of cobalt, you destroy, if it's in the north, you destroy the whole northern hemisphere, even though you're just trying to take out a city. If it's in the south, you destroy the whole southern hemisphere. So this thing about mutual destruction, that's impossible. All the U.S. generals know that. The U.S. citizen doesn't know that. They might know about Hiroshima, but they don't know about that. Now, you could use something where you could pepper the city called Cobalt-60 weapons, which are already manufactured, which sprays out of dust. That you can do, but you cannot have a regular H-bomb, A-bomb type of exchange. No way you destroy yourself also, too. So that's ultimately the reason why. And that's not known by the general public. You know, that's not known, but they know about Hiroshima. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. If you Google this, um, CNBC has this, Wired has it, uh, Vox has it. Um, Trump reportedly asked why U.S. can't use nukes. Think progress, the hill, time. Uh, Yeah. I mean, listen, I I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, Anyone with a passing knowledge of nuclear weapons, I mean, it's a question, it's a question that no one should be asking. I mean, because it answers itself. Um, the, the, weaponry, the, the nuclear weapons that were responsible for the devastation in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, uh, the, the weapons today are thousands of times more powerful than 1945. So you can't even whisper about nuclear weapons in the modern era. So for a man to to have this kind of ignorance to ask why we can't use them means this guy should be nowhere near. Matter of fact, he's getting briefings now. He's getting White House briefings now, he and Hillary Clinton. So he's already being... Because that's what happens. You get this close to the to the finishing line. You know, both parties, both both individuals, get access to White House briefings. So he's getting data that he could he could conceivably tweet. If we're looking at this person being mentally unsound. So, I mean, my my only thing is, and this goes back to uh, Q Storm's original question was that 
you know, um, in spite of all these red flags and this man still makes it to the White House, then you know, oh, yeah, white folks wanted this. To, they wanted this to happen. It's like they wanted a black man in office. And, I, and I'll say this personally. It would hurt me. And I'm not, a, I'm not really a emotional dude. But it would hurt me to see Barack Obama have to literally pass the baton on Inauguration Day to, to Donald Trump, considering that Donald Trump was one of the lead folks in the birthing situation. And I always saw the birthing movement as tantamount to asking for Barack Obama's manumission papers. Show, show me that you're free. <clears throat> I mean, forget about that, there's, that, that we can assume that the government has its own officiating. I mean, think about, how, think about the level of hubris that, it, that it, it takes to ask the first black president, uh, ask about his authentication, as if the government doesn't have their own officiating process. So Donald Trump is going to, is going to say, I'm bigger than the government. I'm, I'm bigger and better. I, I'm the guy that, that will authenticate who you are not the U.S. government. The U.S. government would be officiating the legitimacy of Barack Obama. So we know that this man was legit because the government, whatever they have to do, there's a process. But it's still not good enough. I need to, I need to see your manumission papers. Forget that it has a stamp on the US, from the U.S. government, but Joe Redneck has to be the, determinate, the determinator. This is what this is all about. My only, my only deal, and I've said this before, with with my concern for people of color, is that, and I and I kind of liken myself to how some of the 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 Asian folk and the African immigrants get down, and the the uh, the Indian immigrants. They're all they're all about proficiency. Well, I'm saying this is just my, you know, obviously not everyone can be can, is under this umbrella. But for the, for the ones that appear to be succeeding, the ones that do appear to be adhering to this kind of cultural standard, I mean, hell, locally, and, and Captain knows about this, locally we had, it can't be coincidence like this, two local um, high school in Long Island, Elmont, Elmont, New York, Elmont, Long Island, from Elmont High School, and, and, and again, again, Elmont High School is not like a West Side prep school. Elmont High School is like an average high school. But mind you, mind you, two Nigerian back-to-back students are, were able to get into multiple Ivy League schools. All of them. Back-to-back. Who happen to be Nigerian. There's, that's, that's less coincidence and more about a cultural standard. They keep it moving. I want black folks to do the Machiavellian thing. I want black folks to be uh, not so caught up in this in this political thing, because if it goes if it goes left, it may go left, and then what are you going to do? Everybody else is kind of not. Let me say everybody else, but the, the 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 folks of color that are succeeding, that espouse a certain cultural standard, they're not so caught up in believing that that the political process is the sole determinant, determinant to success. 
I think we, I think we've been relying on that too much. We need to do, and even though this is a this is internet radio, we need to be doing the radio silence thing. And I say that to be kind of comical, but realistically, black folks need to be radio silent and actually coming up with some plans. And I'm starting to hear some things. You know, the captain and I, we 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 speak about this at the gym. I'm seeing some stuff going down with black folks. Yeah, we're starting to invest. I think there's some record number of black people investing in black banks. I'm seeing some of that. Uh, the Bloods, purportedly, the Bloods, the Crips, and the Essays out there on the West Coast that now we saw this with the all all in the same gang record and Mike Concepcion, the uh, legendary uh, former gangbanger. That was 25 years ago. But now we're hearing that they, they've got some kind of a peace accord with the West Coast gangs. So we're seeing some stuff. Uh, maybe, we're, maybe we're in the nascent stages of Blackie getting his act together. Maybe. Uh, now, this is the time that Black Lives Matter, now, of course, Black Lives Matter, Q-Storm, something else that's been reported is that now they have, I think, 60, 60 uh, chapters, if you want to use the, I mean, I may be using the wrong term, but let's say 60 chapters or 60, 60 sub, sub-tiers under Black Lives Matter, they, are, have, uh, they have expanded their, their, um, their movement to include reparations. So I'm like, okay, you can expand now. They're not, they're not expanding. They're not expanding on urban terrorism. Now, the wise thing to do would be, if you see black and brown people, at least for the moment, black and brown uh, urban terrorists, because of what they are, starting to lay low a little bit, starting to cool it a little bit, they should be all over that right now. Expand on that, toward that. Snoop Dogg, all those guys are involved in that, from my understanding. Toward those dudes around these urban centers, and let's get it popping. BLM. Then you'd see me. You'd see my black behind say, okay, I am in. But what do they do? We're going to go for reparations. So they can expand for some reason. This is when you know this might be some George Soros-ish, which, <laughs> which is what I'm hearing has been, has been the true funding. This is, this is, this is trolling. You know, and I, I have to. I had to actually expand my view of what trolling really is. Trolling is putting out a fake catalyst and getting the reaction you want. Because Black Lives Matter, there isn't a logic to it. There's a, there, there is an illogical portion of it. That you know, if you, there's no way in hell you would, you should be ignoring the, the amount of death coming from the likelihood of black death which is black on black, or if you don't want to use that because people are uncomfortable, urban terrorism. Urban terrorism and, and police malfeasance. For some reason, that's the black man's tick. This is why I do the nuance thing, Q. This is why I do the nuance, nuance thing. Nuance is... Well, let me, one thing, and I'll, be, and I'll be done. Okay. The, the one side is the white man's tick was Michelle Obama mentioning slavery. That was his tick. He couldn't let it go. 
the black man's take is, what about urban terrorism? Oh! Doesn't mean it's not factual. But they won't let it go. It's a tick. That's it. That's my nuance thing. Cap? All right. You have Black Lives Murder, BLM. They murder each other. You have police, police lives murder, police murdering the blacks and other people. So that's the real breakdown of those initials. <laughs> now, just to interject quickly pertaining to Trump, because I see a lot of people are nervous about Trump. Here's the reality of it. Trump is not following, following the powers that be dictat. So he's a problem. Trump wants to get rid of the multiculturalism that we have here in the country. The powers that be want multiculturalism because it acts as a buffer, as I said before. I said before on previous diatribes, it's a solitonic mass. What does that mean? The white woman here and the derivative gets stronger. And you see that happening. Look at, this, look at Wonder Woman coming out. Look at all these shows coming out. You see that happening. And the Muslim world is getting stronger. You see that happening. I told you the mimetic virus is going to grow. It's according to the mathematics. Now, in order for Trump, Trump is not supposed to win in no way, shape, or form. Now, according to conspiratorial people, right, and there's a lot of information on this online. You can look it up. You can swing elections based on how they've done 20 percent either which way so if the bankers are really running this thing you know if they're really running it trump is not supposed to win now if it's a legitimate presidency what does he need to win what does he need hillary somehow due to her health drop out of the race then he has more than likely trump wins or the muslim attacks and the mexican attacks pick up so much in this country that the American people say this is the man to protect us from this type of thing. Because we know here in America you're very fearful. That's why everyone's so fearful about Trump in this case. You understand? You're very fearful. So if you're getting all the fear and how a decision is done emotionally, if you have that situation. But if none of that takes place, Trump is not winning the election. But these are the factors that he would need to win. That's not to say it can't happen because... He should not have gotten this far. So just be careful, be warned. And I have a way of saying things, and all of a sudden, they happen. You know, they happen. Just be careful, you know. Vote Hillary. Vote Hillary. Makes you feel good. Vote Hillary. Or vote for somebody else, you know. <laughs> Back over to you, Afro. Well, you know, you got, you got uh, the green ticket. You got the libertarian ticket with Gary Johnson. I might go. I might honestly, and I, I usually don't mention who I would vote for. I might go that route. Um, the Oracle, he's a little uh, flabbergasted that. Well, why would you do that? He he doesn't have a chance of winning. And my, my general view, and as, actually, there's a third thing that you you might want to include in, in what you you're listing, Captain. And this goes go back goes back to Q Storm's assertion, is that uh, just more white people vote. I mean. The reality is there's only a, a, a small amount of people that actually vote. I think, I think, the, I think the percentage of people compared, you know, the percentage of people uh, that actually vote, I think I heard somewhere it might be as low as 20%. Yeah, 20%. Like that. I'm not, I'm not, That's correct. I'm, yeah, so, I mean, listen, if, if, only, if so few people vote, um, and, and, if, and if this is a, a, a call out to white racists and we – we may be uh, underestimating just how many people really want to get down. I'm kind of being speaking colloquially, but I, I think people know what I mean by get down. If this is a carrying call, 
to say, hey, Jeff, Jeff, Jimmy Bob and Jethro Bob and all that kind of stuff, um, you might see something. I mean, all, all that it would have to be is just more people vote, more people than usual, because so few people are, are, are involved in the process. So that's, that's all that. That's the third thing that really has to be uh, considered. But um, my thinking, my thinking with, with Trump really is, you know, the man really just clearly is not qualified. And um, I, I just, it's just funny to me that it's more about what these people are really about. You know, you, obviously there's no caring as to presentation to other nation states, other heads of states. I mean, Bush was sloppy. I remember seeing footage of, a, I think it was a German roundtable with German leaders, and it was a, it was a woman, I, I forgot who it was, but some deal was cut, it's on video, where uh, Bush was kind of jumpy, and he was touching people and rubbing this woman's shoulders, and she was visibly disturbed, visibly uncomfortable. Like, he doesn't know, you have people who just don't know how to act. They're unco- they don't have any cooth. So, I mean, if Bush was that way, um, hell, Trump is Bush on massive steroids as far as not being able to have any class or comport itself. If this is what they want, this is what they want. I just want black folks to do a Blexit. As I said, which we're also going to be promoting through a website, we need to be about that anyway. We need to be about that anyway. But this this whole urgency and and everybody skid. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, Negro? You survived slavery. You survived Jim Crow. True that. You survived lynchings. I mean, you know, you're you're in the hood with uh, guns whizzing over you. Bullets whizzing over you, and you worried about this, and this scares you. ISIS is luminous. ISIS might not. ISIS might not come to Bed Stuy unless they go to recruit. You know, but, but but I mean seriously, this is what scares you. After all, all that you've survived, this is a cakewalk. On that note, gentlemen, we got less than two minutes. Two minutes remaining. I did it for Delph for the majority. I'm glad that my partner in White Collar Crime stopped by and, and, and did his thing. Uh, Saturday, folks, we're going to talk about this Suicide Squad. We have our tickets pre-purchased weeks ago. Uh, Cap, I had a little bit of uh, discussion on that. Even with this goofy, this this goofy, um, uh, what is that thing? The um, the change.org petition. Blaming Marvel. Crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. You Marvel people have it in for us. God forbid, God forbid that your movie just sucks. And I don't want it to suck. I don't want it to suck. I don't want it to suck. But that that can't be. That just can't be. That's funny. Claire, I, oh, I can't wait for the doppelgangers to come through on Saturday. But folks... I want to give you an instrumental groove. Cue shit like this. Uh, purple Room, Slight Purple Room. This is Girls and Boys instrumental. I just like the way this has been done. Uh, gentlemen, 
ladies, all every, all our listeners, Saturday, 6 p.m., The Grindhouse has been real. Let's get to it. Girls and boys, instrumental. Saturday, 